have a seat. So good, so good. Good morning, friends. My name is Danny Phillips. I'm glad you're here this morning. And as of June 1, I will be the next-gen pastor and couldn't be more excited about the things that the Lord has in front of us um, and just the movement that he's working. I, I feel this collective movement forward, which is just a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be a part of. So I'm excited for that. Hey, quick question for you guys. Um, do, do you always sit in the same seat that you're in right now? Is that like your reserved seat? Just That's kind of a random question. Um, Maybe not so much because it's kind of a part of the message, but um, I, I love kind of messing with our staff. During, we've got staff meetings at 1 o'clock on Tuesdays. If you ever need me for anything, that'd be great. No, it's fine. We have a great time. We have, a, we have an awesome time in staff meetings. I've been a part of other meetings um, in, in other sections of life, and it's been um, not as fun. Not as fun. We'll just say that. But I love messing with them because I'll go and sit in somebody else's chair or spot, and they walk in like, <gasps> why don't you just kick my dog. And so it's like this, we have this attachment, sorry if that was a graphic image, but we have this attachment towards um, kind of a certain section or we always kind of do the same thing. Do you always have the same routine in the morning when you wake up? Like hopefully you take care of the essentials, but do you do it the same way every single time? Or even kind of throughout, think about like the past month or the past six months, do you find yourselves kind of hitting through the same routines over and over and over again? Is, is, that, is that kind of you? Or do you kind of just like, ah, I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, which that's just kind of a weird term, a weird phrase um, that we don't find in the text that we're about to read. Do you like that transition? Mark 7, we're going to talk about a few of the things that we see within Mark 7 this morning. It starts like this. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. So they are going from Jerusalem, kind of their hometown, the home base, the center of, uh, of their movement, and, and they go see Jesus. They want to talk to, observe, and see what this rabbi is up to. And they noticed that some of his disciples, those that followed him, failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. And then Mark puts within there some parentheses for us to maybe better understand what he's saying. In verse 3, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. And that, 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 um, that the picture of, of give their hands a ceremonial washing is, is Greek for with a fist. And we, we have this picture of with a fist, whether it's kind of they make a fist and they wash over it that way, or they cup, get a, get a fist full of water and kind of a light washing. We're not, we're not real sure exactly what the text says. And here, here's the big reason why we don't know what exactly, that meant because it's not in the scriptures. It's not... Um, a part of what the, the Bible says, this is what I would require you to do before you eat a meal. I'll talk more about that here in just a second. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, of pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? Which is this, it's, it's the, the Jewish oral tradition. And there was, um, the Jewish oral tradition was added to the law as a commentary to spell out the details, implications, and applications of the law. 
So this is what the law says. This is what God has told us to do. And we're going to give you a commentary as to how to apply the law in your setting. Y'all with me? Everybody good with that? So that's when we talk about the Jewish oral tradition, um, not, not wrong in its intention, but there's something that is missed, which we see in Jesus' response as he approaches him. Uh, here in just a second. They continue, they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. It's because of this that they go on the offense towards Jesus. Mind you, this is Jesus, so probably not a great fight to pick. Jesus replies, you hypocrites. (laughs) Not a great way to start with the religious leaders. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. It's false. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Jesus is dealing with several different things in here regarding commands, convictions, and traditions that I want us to look at this morning. Let's pray. God, I I, I, I ask, Spirit, that you would, in this moment, open and illuminate our eyes to what you have showed us through your text. Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each individual in here that you would give them a specific word from you that is rooted and birthed out of your your voice and anchored to your text, what you have said is true about who you are and what you've done. Amen. Commands. I say that and some of you guys get a little tick. You're all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, quit saying commands. You just keep doing it. Some of you may be turned off by this word. Commands. So, so would it make you feel better if I use the phrase, an invitation to submit? Is that better? Is that better for us? Instead of commands, that the Bible, that Jesus would command some things, would it be better if we said an invitation to submit? That's really what Jesus is offering. For instance, when he calls some of his first followers, he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's an invitation to come with and to follow what Jesus does and what he says. Now, they can, they can reject that. They can say, no, 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 we're good fishing for fish. Or they can follow Jesus and, and put down their nets and they can go and follow Jesus. And if they do that, if they follow Jesus and leave their former life behind to follow Jesus, they then get to say yes to the things that Jesus would ask them to do following that. You guys with me on that? So that, that invitation to submit is a, is a command, right? Um, you, can, you can reject that. You can go your own way. Um, but for some reason, we have a hard time. We don't like this, this, this word, command. We don't like this phrasing of invitation to submit. It, it feels so um, informal and archaic and, and loveless. And I would just say this, that there's an order to following the command. And it's this order, that we love and therefore we obey. Jesus, um, a pastor named Scott Sauls, reflects on this encounter of of Jesus with the, Jesus uh, confronting the, the woman that's caught in adultery and defending her and then sending her on her way. 
He says this, I do not condemn you. This is what Jesus says. I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Scott Saul says, um, the order of this makes all the difference in the world. If we flip it and go, go and leave your life of sin, therefore I won't condemn you, we get religion. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. The, The order in this makes all the difference in the world. Religion says do and God will love you. The gospel says God loves you, therefore we do. Here's another way of thinking about the commands. We don't have a problem. I, I say we. I'm just I'm speaking in regards to all of us because I hope this is a little bit of our perspective together that, that we're fine with a parent giving an order. Don't jump off the two-story playground set. Don't kick your little sibling, right? We wouldn't say, that's just rough parenting. Don't, don't give them a suggestion, right? I would suggest you not touch the hot stove, it might burn you, but, but it, you know what? It's on you. You've got freedom of choice in this moment to decide whatever you want to do, right? It, it's, 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 we would like, oh, that's not great parenting there, right? Or the, for, for lawmakers, we don't say, you know what? Just give people the, the make a law, do whatever you want to do. That, that's a, a, a recipe for chaos and anarchy we, we don't have a problem with that. We don't have a problem most of the time with stop signs unless you're in a hurry, right? My, my, my dad is um, a municipal court judge here in town. Raise your hand if you've seen him before. No, no, I'm just fine. <laughs> Sometimes people come up to me and they're like, hey, I saw your dad the other day. I'm going, in what context? <laughs> Are you about to yell at me or be like, hey, Man, remember when we were best friends? And I'm going like, I don't, I don't remember your name. <laughs> but my dad oftentimes will use this phrase if you um, are before him and he's, you have a traffic violation for a stop sign. And the person before him says, well, well I slowed down. And my dad will say, <clears throat> if I have you in a headlock, which he's, he's not a violent man. I just throw that out there for my dad's sake. If I have you in a headlock... Would you like for me to slow down or would you like for me to stop? Thank you, Judge. I will take the fine now. <laughs> we're, we're fine with that from, from a, uh, an aspect of parents or lawmakers of giving order of saying, hey, this is how things need to look in this land. This is how it needs to look in this house. Why is it then when the creator of the universe has a command, it hurts our heart that he might mandate that it be followed. And and here's the difference with with the mandates or the law or the commands of God. That that God's law always comes from a pursuit of his glory and our good. Always. You look at the text and, and his pursuit of giving a command or a law is always, always to, to demonstrate and show an accurate reflection of who he is and it's for our good as his people. And if Jesus is our king that we worship, sh- should we not do what he's asked of us? Yeah. 
Jesus never operates, he never commands um, from shame or fear or force like sometimes parents or governing authorities may do, right? He never pushes towards that um, kind of guilt-ridden command. Rather, he invites us to submit as he is the rightful king. And so we say this about the command, the aim of the command of God. The aim of the commands of God are to identify a person's heart and therefore what comes out of a person's heart as his. To identify a person's heart and therefore what comes out of it as his. That his people would be known as his by what the transforming work that is being done in them and through them. So what are some of the commands of God? Early on in Genesis in 1 and 2, God gives the command to Adam and Eve, I want you to um, be fruitful and multiply, to take, subdue, bring order out of the chaos, to be, what, to, to be in the garden, to build structures, to give names to, to bring order to that which is around you as my image bearers. In Genesis 12, he calls Abram, to be a kingdom builder with the blessings that God gives him. Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations, that the nations might know me. He builds that nation, and then uh, under the, the, the leadership of Moses, he begins to give a law as a nation, as a group of people, as his covenant people. He says this, be holy because I'm holy. Because I am a set-apart God, because I'm not like the other gods that you've been around for the last 400 years as you've been enslaved in Egypt, because I'm not like the gods that you make with your own hands and you tell what to do and you create your own ways with those gods, because I am a set-apart God, I want you to be a set-apart people. The Mosaic Law expresses the commands for the people learning what it looks like to be God's people, a people who are set-apart and Jesus is asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? As they're asking and, and referring back to the commands of God. And Jesus says this in Mark 29, 12, 29. says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And just as a, by way of reminder that Jesus doesn't nullify and abolish and get rid of the Old Testament and the law of God. Rather, he fulfills them perfectly. And because he did, we can. The very thing that he's called us to do, the, uh, of, of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's given us the ability to do that because he has perfectly fulfilled the law He's um, been our, 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 our penalty on the cross. He's taken that on himself and raised in victory from the grave, sent his spirit to be our guide, our counselor, the giver of wisdom and understanding in every circumstance that we would be able to do the very thing that he's called the greatest commandment in himself. And so the spirit begins the work of, work of sanctification or the work of making you holy, of setting you apart, of being a set-apart people for a set-apart God. You with me? And then Jesus gives this mandate as well. Make disciples. 
I want you to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. This was not the great suggestion. It was a command from Jesus. It was a commission by Jesus to make disciples. These are commands that mark God's people as his. Our kids may do something at time, and you may respond with, hey, that's, that's not how this family does things. And, and commands kind of are, are that are similar mindset that, hey, God's people, we're going to operate in a certain way. We're going to love the Lord God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to be order bringers. We're going to be kingdom builders. We're going to make disciples that make disciples because it identifies us as his. Pastor Tabidi, a pastor and author, says this, you can't consistently reject the mark of discipleship and still claim to be a disciple. Church, we are a people. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it necessitates that you follow Jesus. Which leads to this next point of conviction. Like, what, okay, so what does that look like? And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so here's the hard thing. Is that the command that when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no, this is what it looks like when you wake up at six. And in fact, I need you to wake up at six. And you're going to do these 18 different things. And this is what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you encounter somebody, this is what it looks like at each point of your day. Um, and we don't have this huge list of what each of these steps look like. And so here's the place of conviction. Personal conviction keeps a tight rein on the individual's tendencies so that we may look more like Jesus. It's a personal word from the Spirit that you believe will set your heart apart for purity and to move your affections towards Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? Y'all with me on that? that? That I would say, God, what does loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength look like? Or what does it look like for me to make disciples in my context that you've placed me in? What does it look like for me to be a kingdom builder, an order bringer? What does it look like in my specific context, in this season that you've placed it in? Spirit, speak to me. Personal convictions are birthed out of that. It could be convictions regarding um, dating or drinking alcohol or not to the point of drunkenness, but how do I approach that? How do I approach tattoos and piercings? How do I handle technology and movies and music? How do I handle me being in groups of people? Uh, how, how many kids should I have? What setting will I work in? What settings will I play in? What hobby should I have? And how much time and money should I spend? All of those are personal convictions. And we can't find the checklist in scripture because it's not there. And it requires, it requires that we go to the Lord and go, God, what would you want to do with what I have? Go back and look at the, the Mark 7 passage, and we may, and I'm just I'm complete speculation here, but maybe the originator of, of the washing of the hands felt that every time he washed his hands in a certain reminder, it was a reminder of God's purifying work in his life. I don't know. But somewhere along the line, the meaning had been lost. And I think sometimes with us, personal conviction has a tendency to do the same. 
we have this thing that we're, we, we feel like the Lord's calling us to, and over time it becomes just something that we do. So let me just give two cautions regarding conviction. Conviction, when overlaid on others, personal conviction can lead to legalism. When I begin to say, look, this is what the Lord has told me, and this is what you have to do, it becomes legalism. And this is what the, um, either convictions or traditions, this is what was taking place in Mark 7. By raising the human commentary to a level of importance equal to the divinely given law, they have actually negated the real purpose and spirit of the law itself. You've elevated what you think your commentary on the text and how it's applied to your life to the actual law. And therefore, you're hypocrites because you're saying that my law is greater than the law of God. Secondly, if we don't hold the same conviction, if we don't hold the same personal conviction as somebody else, please don't use your liberty that would lead to your brother or sister stumbling. Somebody has a word from the Lord about how their purity um, would be moved forward and their affection would be driven towards Jesus and we mock because they have that. I, I want complete purity of thought and mind and they've given that to the Lord and the Lord's spoken that and they're not making a big deal. They're not saying that it has to be overlaid on you and yet we're going, that's stupid. You don't, why are you doing that? Friends, we will be marked as Jesus' disciples by how we love one another. Right? And so the way that we, one way that we love one another is encouraging and holding somebody accountable, not mocking and calling them whatever because they don't operate in the same way that we do. In fact, um, I, I would even say kind of this to be that we don't use the lack of personal conviction as a highway away from God. Not, not wanting to deal with a personal conviction that the Lord would have on your heart um, and place on you, um, just going, I don't have that, I can do whatever I want. Um, that, that there's not a license to sin. Don't use your personal conviction as a highway away from God. And lastly, the, this understanding of, of tradition. The human tradition is the collective. And when I say collective, I say kind of group, uh, whether it's f a family unit or a group such as this, is a collective affection towards something God did in the past and wanting to honor and remember that. There are celebrations that remember something good from the past. Uh, a ritual can stem from what we did or even something that we want to happen. You want to create a tradition within your family that will lead to God doing a great work and us desiring to see that again. In the scriptures, God um, mandates or, or calls the people to uh, some, some traditions, some festivals, to remember. I want you to carry out these festivals, these traditions. He calls the people to remember. And the point of it always, always is to point the people back to the one whose presence came in and gave the experience. Never, never um, is, is that command of God given to, to remember uh, the experience, to remember the, the freedom, to remember the work that God did just to worship the event. Always to point back to the one who gave it. Not for the replication or worship of the experience. 
Even in this place, we can have that tendency. God, I, I want to see you kind of, um, let's, let's sing that song so I can almost worship that song. No, I want to worship the God that's behind that song. I want to worship the God that that song speaks to. Um, I, I want to, um, the, 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 the traditions and holidays that we have for, for, for Christmas or for, for Easter, um, for, for Mother, like I want to remember the things that God has done. I don't want to worship Christmas. <laughs> And if all of your affection is driven towards the giving of presents and setting up and, and all the things that go around that, then I would ask you to pull back and go, am I worshiping the tradition? Am I worshiping the experience or the God that I get to celebrate as a result of that? Traditions, certain songs you sang Songs that tie you back to a move of God. And, and maybe you can only sing those songs with those instruments. A personal preference to your tradition doesn't make God's presence all of a sudden show up. It may awaken your awareness. You have a song that is sung and all of a sudden your mind floats back to the first time you heard it or the way the Spirit stirred your heart as you heard it. And that's good. But, but please don't make that ultimate. It may awaken your awareness as your affections are stirred, but, but please don't pigeonhole God and get all crusty in the only ways that God can work and move. Maybe it's the action you were taught as a child. When you pray, what are you supposed to do? Close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands. That's, I think that was really just given by like preschool teachers so they can speak for a little bit and just, just be still, oh Lord, still my soul. Stop moving, people. You'll see within the Psalms of prayers given with hands open wide and eyes looking towards the heavens, expectant of God's movement. You've got prayers prayed uh, with knees bowed in humble submission to the king who is here, right? We've got prayers of, of, of quietude and solemn spirit, waiting and anticipating to hear from the Lord as his Chosen ones. It may be your tradition, maybe a style of church or program that you had that you have fond memories of, a program or event that was spirit created and God moved, a camp you went to, and only that one will do. Only that experience, because God only works that way every single time. Hmm. Two cautions about traditions. Again, when overlaid on others, or when that tradition is overlaid on something new that God wants to do, it could lead to empty religion at best and idol worship at worst. Idol worship meaning we've elevated that place or thing as the, the object of our worship. And we've no longer submitted to the command of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Instead, we're loving this other thing with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Traditions can be absolutely beautiful so, so long as we don't begin to worship the tradition or expect the tradition to usher in the presence of God. Nothing we do coaxes God into repetitive movement towards us. Uh, I was an athlete um, 
for um, a couple years, and you have a tendency to do the same thing every single time. So as a baseball player, I would have the, the same move. I'm going to take this many swings. I'm going to hit this. I'm gonna, and if that doesn't work, then we're going to do something different. We're going to actually like change our socks and underwear. We're going to approach the day a little bit different to try to find exactly what it is that kind of gets us into that groove. Friends, God's not superstitious. <laughs> He's near to the brokenhearted. He, he loves us that come into submission to him. Man can't recreate the presence of God by what we do. The songs that we sing in here, the things that we do out there, how you bless your food or don't bless your food or wash your hands or don't wash your hands, you don't recreate the presence of God. And then for those um, without tradition, those without tradition, if you would say, like, awesome, please, just release me from the traditions of mankind. I think it's all baloney anyway. For those um, without tradition, it can oftentimes cut ties from a rich history of remembering what God has done in the past. The rich things of, of, of that God has moved and the rich ways that he's moved in scripture, in church history, in the... Uh, and the songs that have been written over time, the richness of hymns, don't throw that away. Just know its rightful place as we remember and celebrate the great God that it points to. We know this. We know that God um, has, has moved towards us. And I believe that, that he's moved towards us more than, than, than all of us realize or recognize in this present moment. He stands and he knocks, waiting for you to respond, waiting for you to ask and listen. Jesus stepped in and carried out every command on our behalf, and he calls you and empowers you through the Holy Spirit to follow him. Personal convictions and traditions were started because people stopped to ask and listen and had an awareness to the movement of God. Good, God-honoring personal convictions and traditions are those which are set in motion as we go, God, what do you wanna do? What do you need to stir within me? What are some ways that we collectively can celebrate? Are we willing to stop, to listen, to ask, the questions and be aware of God's movement in that moment. So just a few questions for us as we finish this up. Are there any commands that you're missing and need to repent and turn to in submission to Jesus? And I say that word repentance, that may even have some, some rough connotation for some of us as, as commands would, but at the that the root of repentance is a love for justice and God. At the root of repentance is this love for justice and God. And I say that, that may sound kind of weird to, to some in here, that, that justice piece. And the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus tells us that justice was played out on the cross. 
that, that the things that we deserved as a result of our rebellious heart that didn't worship God, that didn't follow his commands, that I'm going to do things my own way, that justice was carried out on your behalf, on my behalf, on the cross, as God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, and he took on the death that we should have died. And he took our place. He was our substitute. He is our substitute. And he's placed in the grave, raises from the grave, proving victorious over death, that we no longer have to live in that place of death and chaos and disorder, but rather through the giving of the Spirit, he gives us his understanding and wisdom and comfort. This is what we say by a root of repentance is love for justice and God. Martin Luther would say this about repentance. It's the change in one's disposition and the object of one's love. Is there a command that that God has placed in front of us that we would go, the object of my affection has been completely off course. Let me remember this gospel, this good news of Jesus And let me, through the power of the Spirit, have a change in my disposition and the object of my love. Because what we know about God and have experienced as a result of his presence should always drive us deeper into affection for God. The things that we know, the commands that we've heard, the things that you've heard said about God should never just lead to more information. It's how we get bloated, headed legalism. It should always drive us to deeper affection for God. Anything less moves us to being a Pharisee. Jesus never asked us to simply memorize what he told us. I don't think we're going to, Francis Chan relates to this um, greatly, uh, that there's, there's never going to be a, a place that, that God goes, hey, did you, did you memorize everything that, that, I, that I wrote? This, again, it's not a substitute for not studying the scriptures and memorizing. But in, in the end times, did you memorize everything? Yeah, I, I got it all figured out. D- did you do what I've commanded you to do? Ah, oh, well, I thought I was just supposed to, like, remember the stuff. I thought I was just supposed to, like, think about the things that you told me to do. Carry it out. Oh. Jesus never asks us to simply memorize what he told us. He calls us to obedience and following because we are marked as his. Are you? Are you marked as his? And is it demonstrated by how you follow? Is there a personal conviction that you've overlaid on someone else that was just for you? You may need to pull back. You may need to go apologize and ask for forgiveness from that person. Is there a conviction that the Spirit is placing on you that is just for your purity and your holiness? And even as we talk through personal convictions, that you're, you're feeling this, I, I, I've been putting this off for a while. The Spirit's really giving me clarity to go, you need to walk in this way. You need to give up this thing. You need to step away from this. And this is just my word from you for you. Don't ignore it. 
Have somebody come alongside you for accountability um, and encouragement. Do you have a tradition that you're holding as the equivalent to the command of God? Whether it's family or church or personal traditions, are you willing to set aside that tradition to fulfill a command of God that he's already given you? Are your your traditions closed-handed, tight-fisted in the commands of God, open-handed and compromising? That's an issue. That's a rebellious heart issue. I'm going to hold to this thing that I've created, that man's created, and the things that God said, I'm going to take them more as suggestions. Do you need to shake up a tradition? Is there a tradition that is already in place, but you just need to approach it different? And Easter for me this past year was radically different because I just, I approached it different. Because I was just going, God, I want to identify more so with the the crucifixion, with the silence, with the resurrection. Help, what does that look like for me today? And so that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm just going to ask us for a moment. So if I can get our prayer ministry team to come down front. Is there an area of repentance that, that you need to step into? Is there a personal conviction that you would go, I, I need to spend some time with the Lord on this? Is there a tradition that you need to release so that you just need to step in with greater awareness to God's movement into that? Please come and let us pray alongside you. Ask the Spirit to, to give even greater clarity to that. And can we ask this question in each moment? Because these commands and convictions and traditions all run kind of interwoven. Can we ask this question? God, will you make me aware? What do you you want from me? In each of these things, can we continually move into those with, with a desire for the awareness of the Spirit of God in each of these things? Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would convict us of of areas um, where we have been walking away from you with a rebellious heart, places that we have not submitted to you, areas that that we've um, said, we're going to figure this out on our own. So would we give up that attitude, that, that, that spirit of rebellion? And would you replace it with a spirit of submission to you? A spirit of purity and and a spirit that is set apart, marking us as yours. Would you move us towards you with greater awareness this morning? Would you use our friends this morning um, up here to, to come along? Spirit, would you speak to them and through them giving them a word that, that absolutely encourages and calls you to the forefront of our hearts this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Please move forward if the Lord's laying something on your heart this morning.